You're listening to 247 Real Talk. This is your host, Julian Perry. And for this episode, I'll be speaking with a guest, a very powerful guest with a powerful story. She was abducted, tortured, raped, and escaped a serial killer. I'll be right back with Kathy Shaw. Kathy, welcome to 247 Real Talk. Thank you for joining me. It's uh, just after 11 p.m. on Monday, July 12th on the East Coast of the United States. I want to thank you so much for being up this late and agreeing to be a guest on my show. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's quite a pleasure. And I know that this is a powerful story that's about to be told. And I hope my audience is sitting at the edge of their seats and, and taking notes and wrecking their memories to... Uh, ensure that none of them knows anything about this story, but why don't you start off by introducing yourself, you know, as who you are today. Uh, my name is Kathy Shaw, and um, I'm, I like writing. I like watching true crime stories to see if I could ever actually find this person by just watching a lot of true crime. Um, but I mainly like to do a lot of writing about my situation and that does a lot of healing to me and it helps with a lot of depression and I've come a long ways with my writing. I've wrote 20 some years to try to solve this case. Okay. So let's, let's, you know, the audience would need to know the the entire story. So let's go rewind back to um, prior to the day this ordeal occurred. How old were you? And if you don't mind, you don't have to divulge that. But, you know, tell us about your life prior to that day. Um, I was 24 at the time. And I was actually uh, ready... I was enlisted to go to the Army, and um, I quite didn't make it there. I decided to go to Florida with my sister and um, try to make a life and try to have a family and just work and stay busy and be a typical young lady. <laughs> um, I actually was invited with her to go to North Carolina, and um, I decided to go. She wanted to go see an old friend um, and uh, bring him some cigarettes, which he was incarcerated. I wasn't too keen about going uh, there with her and a friend, and she kept asking me to go with her, and I got in and I decided to go. And um, I guess she went to the place and took him a cigarettes and all. And I, I waited for her in the car with her friend. And then 
on the way back uh, in North Carolina, she wanted to go inside a tavern, and um, I took one look at it, uh, just going up the steps to it, and it was just too rough for me. It just looked really rowdy and drinking people and loud and a lot of bad language. And I told my sis, I said, nope, that's not for me. I'm not going in. And we kind of had a spat. We had actually an argument, (laughs) almost a fist fight. And she went in and I took off down the steps. And that's when I decided to walk. I was going to look for a payphone and call my family and I was going to try to get a ticket, a bus or a plane to head back home and, you know, do the army thing like I wanted to do. But I remember as I was walking, I seen a big, beautiful church. I stopped there and I prayed that I would make it safe. And I was terrified. I was on my own and didn't know a soul there and kind of in a rural area. Well, a few homes, but not really a whole lot, just a lot of trees and just very rural area. What time of day was this? It was about six o'clock of the evening. Was it still bright or had it got become dark? Yes, it was still bright. And um, I had kneeled down and prayed by the little white church. It was a very pretty church. And. I prayed that I would make it to a phone and be safe, and um, I knew I was out there being young, and I was afraid, didn't know a soul, but brand new place like that, and I was very scared, and um, so I, Why I didn't took you turn off back? walking. Um, I didn't want to go back to that tavern. I just knew if I did, I would probably have an argument with my sister. <laughs> Or maybe a fist fight. It just wasn't worth it to me. I just knew that I'd possibly make it to a phone and call my family and try to get back home and get to the army like I wanted to be. And Okay, so go ahead. You go. And I took off walking and I was dressed very appropriate and very much a lady and I took off walking. It took about, oh, I would say I went maybe a good mile in a rural area, and it started to get a little dark and drizzle, and I was getting scared, and I was walking very fast, and I kind of heard a really loud noise on the left of me in the back, and it kind of... I knew right there it was a loud, old-sounding clunker pickup truck. It sounded very old and very loud and noisy, and it kept dying out. And And I thought, oh, gosh, you know, it, it scared me. And I kind of looked over, and real scary-looking man, kind of shabby, brownish hair with a red tint, kind of stringly-looking, and like he ain't shaved in a while and he had a red cap on and he rolled the window down and I took one look at his eyes and I just seen pure evil. He was terrifying looking and um, I just heard him say, well, do you need a ride? And 
I said, no, I said, I'm, I'm walking and I'm fine. I, I'm, I don't need a ride and I'm going to a pay phone and thank you. And I just sensed him following me just by, you know, the truck kept on kind of tailgating me from behind. And I kind of knew he was creepy and he was following me and the truck kept dying out. And when he got it back, he moved up towards me and parked and he jumped out and he actually had me by the hair and the neck and he pushed a button and I've never seen a knife so long in my life that popped out. It was a very large knife. It had a sharp blade to it and he put it to my neck and drug me into the pickup and told me if I screamed, he would uh, kill me. And he had me by the hair and uh, threw me in the pickup truck and I started to scream. He put his hand over my mouth and then he reached across and locked the passenger door and pulled me close to him and and he just took off fast driving and I just screamed, where are you taking me? And he told me to shut up and very belligerent talking, cussed quite a bit, bad language. And before I knew it, uh, he went about 15 miles up the road and no, 15 minutes up the road. And I'll never forget the right blinker that he had on the right turn signal. It was my biggest key that I never forgot was the right turn signal. And he went over a bunch of like little sand dunes and you could see the dust flying. And he drove real fast in like a corner. There was an old like towers and like an old telephone company or something that was shut down with tall grass and There was a little brick white topped house there with a fenced in yard and uh, a couple little children playing, maybe one and two years old. And um, he parked there and told me if I tried to run, well, there was no place to run. It was in a corner in a holler and there really wasn't any neighbors and nothing. I just kind of kept my eyes on the children and they were smiling at me and I tried to get their attention, but I knew they, what could they do? And he told me if I tried to move, he had a gun in there and he'd blow my brains out. And so I sat there and I was terrified. I kind of froze up. I was just, you know, in shock and and before I knew it, he ran out the house. I don't know whose house or where he was or, or whose place it was, but he ran out and he had a little brownish white bag and threw it in the back of the truck. And I seen some rope hanging out of it. And then he jumped back in and he went over those humps again, those little sand dunes. Uh, rocks were flying, sand was flying, and he put another right turn signal on, the same right. Went about another 15 minutes up the road, and this time he went over some pretty deep sand hills. They were real deep, bumpity, and very, very bumpity ride. He was, he went down in a 
Well, it had a rock quarry is what the sign said, a rock quarry. And at that point, I did try to jump. I got halfway out the door. I seen a couple up there. They were smoking and drinking, carrying on. I I tried to scream and jump, and they grabbed me by the hair and told me if I tried that again, I'd be a dead B-I-T-C-H. And he just kept on going down and down and down. And it was kind of way deep down in, and he just stopped like in the center of this quarry and it was overlapping a big rock. It was like he knew exactly where to go and where to park. And um, he he knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going, but it was kind of in the center of this quarry and it was quite a ways down there, pretty deep. And, um, and he just stopped the truck and he put the gun to my head and, he said, I'm on a count to three, and you better have your GD and effing clothes off. And then he counted to three, and um, I did what he said, of course. And then from there, I was assaulted many times, and he was drinking. He had a bottle of whiskey he was drinking on, and he pretty much acted like he was angry at someone the whole time. He was very awful at his language. He was using all kinds of bad words and he was hitting the steering wheel and that G-D-B-I-T-C-H. And he was very, very angry acting like he, I don't know who he was mad at, but he was very, very mean, evil person. And, so let me stop you there. So all of this, all of this was happening in the truck, or did he come out? No, it, it was in the truck. Okay. I got to leave the truck one time in about almost four days. I went to go to the bathroom, and he come out and he watched me and made sure that I didn't try to run. And that was the only time I ever left the truck was to use the bathroom. And the rest, I was being assaulted, and he spit on me. He was slobbering, and he kept loading the gun, unloading it, loading it, unloading it several times. At the same time, he was beating the steering wheel and cussing so much. He he was very, very angry at somebody who I'll never know, but he just kept saying. That's for the clarification audience. So I guess this old truck had one of those, uh, I guess, those seats that go all the way across, right? Yes. Right, so there was there no was center no, console type of There thing. was no no console, period. It was all just one big seat. Right, bench seat. In this yeah. old pickup truck, yeah. And this went on for four days? Yes. And I guess whatever he was drinking, he it was awfully strong. I believe it was and definitely whiskey, but... He took his last sip and he just kept hitting the steering wheel with his head and acted like he was going to pass out. He did that the third day. And then day number four, he finished the bottle and threw it out the window. And that's when he totally hit it and passed out totally. But I pretty much was in shock. I couldn't really move it. It just did something to me. I, 
I know I counted to three after an hour and I kept debating whether to try to run. I knew if I opened, <clears throat> I knew if I opened the door, he would po- possibly wake up and hear me and I was terrified. But I knew at one point that he was snoring, so I, I made a run. And <clears throat> uh, to be honest, I didn't know if I even wanted to try to run. There was I didn't know how to get out of this place. It was just way right, down, you would there, down there. And there was no, yeah. I, I couldn't see anything. It was just so still the break of dawn. It was dark, and it was just all mud and rocks and, and just like a desert, a dark desert. And I just counted to three and I knew that I had to do this and I had to escape and get away or I would be dead. And I I know he was planning on killing me by the rope and the bag and the anchor and to leave me down in this place. And I'm sure he's been there before. It was like he knew exactly where to park, you know, underneath that big old rock. And he went pretty far down in there. He he knew what he was doing, and and I counted to three, and I just started running. I ran as fast as I could, just straight up. And so you opened the door, or did you enter, exit the window? Yes, I opened the door, okay. and it did squeak, but it didn't squeak like I really thought it would. I was very careful. It took me about a good 30 minutes to grab my clothes and get out the door, but I was planned. I knew what I was doing. (laughs) Okay. So now you're out the truck and you are in the deep down in the quarry. It is still a bit dark. Well, I didn't really know any way to go. So I just ran uh, the direction I, which was straight. I just kept on going and, it was about a good 30, 40 minutes, and I was overwhelmed. I had heard a two-way lane. I heard traffic. I heard cars moving. I heard a truck. I knew, oh, my gosh, I was. I hit a highway. Then it, it got pretty daylight pretty quick. It got dawn, and then I seen, I threw my hands up on the highway. It was a two-way lane. I seen an SUV coming, a little white SUV with a, couple inside it a man and a lady and oh they stopped i i motioned i screamed and they knew something was wrong and and they stopped and they told me to get in and at the same time there he was at the top of the two-way there there he was and he hollered at me he said watch out for the gd mf and snakes he was still as evil and as mean as can be, even sober. So, he was just an evil person. So evil, I'm assuming evil. that at some point he woke up and he figured what direction you went in and he was he went running after you. Yes, I had. I was rescued by then. I had a couple that let me, they picked me up and they wanted to take me to the police station or the hospital. They knew something was wrong and... They heard me screaming at him that they knew, and I I just kind of melted. I was very embarrassed and very blamed myself, and I didn't even want to talk about it. I just wanted to run off and hide and never even come out of my shell, which <laughs> I... 
I was inspired to later in life to come out with this and where I saved a bunch of kids and I had a very pretty good man to try to help me and he made me get in my car and go and report this and so hold on I want I want to connect all the dots there so the couple picked you up where they take you I went to a gas station and I called from there I called my sister's friend and that's when she come and got me and her friend that she met in this tavern and she seen me and I she hugged me I was crying and she, I told her what happened to me and she thought that I actually got a ticket and went back home. She never knew that I was actually <laughs> in this rock quarry. Okay, so at this point, you've, you you didn't go to the hospital, you didn't go to the police. What happened next? No. I actually went with my sister, and um, I went back to Florida, and I lived my life to the fullest I could and acted like nothing ever happened, but it it got to me too bad. It bothered me beyond belief. I wasn't the same girl that I, I just, everything changed about me. My personality, my anger, my depression. I tried to kill myself taking something and I, I, I couldn't deal with it. And the only way I thought that I could was by writing or just staying busy, you know, working. I worked in a restaurant and I just stayed busy, but I went through a few divorces. I couldn't handle just life, period. And I just knew I had to get this deep, dark secret out. I knew that I had to get it out of my system. And that's when I was inspired to turn this in. and. I I told the detective, I drove myself back and told them everything. And How long and after was, was this? How long after the incident did you go back and tell Oh, the gosh. It was, <laughs> I waited 20-some years. So did they believe you when you first told them the story? Oh, oh, yes, they knew. They took my lie detectors. They... Um, they asked me if I even provoked it with any kind of see-through clothing, which I thought that was kind of a yeah, that's crazy wrong. question yeah. all the way. And I thought, you know, I'm, I never wore see-through clothes and I dress like a, a lady should. And, you know, but that's something I guess they ask a lot, but according to my advocate, that should have never been asked, you know, if I wore see-through right. clothes that had nothing to do with it, whether I had a swimsuit on or anything <laughs> Let me ask you another question that comes to mind. I mean, first of all, let me let me pause here to say, I mean, so far, just thank you for, because that's not an easy story to relive. I realize, and I want my audience to know that this happened initially in 87, was it? Um, it was 84. 84. So this has happened. This is a while. This is uh, just so that those who are thinking now and listening to this this episode can think back to then as opposed to think, you know, it's important that they know when this occurred. But the question that comes to mind is, as you told your story, you were walking on the road, the guy came, he, you know, he grabbed you, basically abducted you. He stopped at this house where there were kids. You remember the right signal. Did you ever think you of, of going back to find that house? Oh, I think about it all the time. I sure do. Um, Did the police go to find that house? 
if I could find the tavern and the the one we were in, see, they say Castle County and Rockingham County was where it was and where I was taken from. So that's what they're kind of still fussing over is jurisdiction issue. Right, and I've I'm, always wanted to go back. I I'm, think I could find it. Yeah, well, that's why I'm asking that question because, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell my audience now that one of the reasons that Kathy has come forward for this episode is because the 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 abductor is still out there, and and she, as she continues her story, you'll understand that this person is could possibly be a serial killer because, you know, he, he when he stopped at the house, it seems like he went and got his tools of his trade, and so I'm bringing this up. Oh yeah, because I went to a. Uh, uh, oh. Excuse me. I, I went to a very professional sketch artist forensic over the years, and he actually was the same one that he plays on America's Most Wanted. He fingerprinted John Walsh's son's killer. I went to the same sketch artist, and he did the age progression and the sketch, and he did it perfect, and he profiled him to be a serial killer, and um, he said, I was very lucky to have escaped this and there could be a lot more women that of course didn't get out of this place and um, I found a man that was in the tavern with my sister that she met Uh, his name was Ricky Arthur he owned a trucking company I found him after 20 some years and I did describe this man to him and like I said I really believe he was in this tavern and followed me but I explained him to the T, and a couple names came into this. And I did look at one on the Internet. I looked at the face and the name, everything. The age matched. He had the hat on. And I could say I'm 80% sure that was him. And I did tell the Bureau, the detective, and uh, they interviewed him and showed a picture of me. That was the whole investigation. Have you ever seen her? And of course, he's going to say no. Okay, but that's why I, that's why I'm spending a bit more time on the house because I would think that if they found the house and they were able to look at the history to see who lived there, you know, and when, especially because there were kids there, I think that that's you know, almost yes, um, it's very simple to basic detective to work. <laughs> yes. And but I didn't have that great because right now um, the case is being fought over jurisdiction issue from the time from where I was taken and from where the tavern is. They're having a jurisdiction issue. The case has been passed now back and forth over state line 15 times already. And now it is sitting in a cold case folder in the wrong jurisdiction, it's sitting in a cold case. File my case. So wait a and minute. I is did there, get a, I'm 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 sorry to interrupt you, Kathy, but you know the, the whole. First of all, you know what you went through was horrendous enough, and and I don't care where it is in the United States now, but you know every place I'm assuming has progressed to some extent, and unless the, the whole geography or the, or the whole landscape has changed, and it could have from 1984 to now, and there's a possibility that house is no, itself is no longer there, but because of how you described it, the sort of uh, end of the block, end of the street, sort of place with nowhere to go, what you went over, the yeah. time you traveled from where you were abducted, 
And, and there was like a old company like next door. It had like these long, like black towers, maybe telephone towers or something like it was an old telephone company. And it was fenced in as well. And it had long grass, like it was shut down. Right. Like they, that, that's enough information for me to think that they can find that either the house or what or they can look through the records and find what house was there and who it was the house, you know, who had the deed and who was living there. And, and, you know, the, and, I, and I say this even more so because when you saw children, it suggests that somewhere in that dynamic, there were parents. So, you know, whether this person yes, was, was a family member inside. of the, right, right, right. So I, I, I mean, and I'm going to say this, you know, very boldly to any of the detectives or any law enforcement it officer. Was some sorry work. They did terrible. They yes. Any law enforcement officer. Well, I want, let me say this, Kathy, to any law enforcement officer who is a part of my audience, who is interested in, in solving cold cases, you know, this is one for you because it is hard to believe, you know, there's, there's sort of, um, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the evidence is leading you to where, you know, to, to, the, to some of the answers here and to believe that, you know, this has not been pursued even in, you know, in a trivial manner suggests that they're either not interested anymore or maybe they know who it is and decided that, because I've, I've also had some guests on my show who have been in other situations, but law enforcement yes, someone's covered I up something. I looked at the person of interest. I, I, it rang a bell because my blood pressure shot sky high. I even had to go to the hospital that night. I, I was shaking my blood pressure. Um, a man's name and the guy that my sister met in the tavern that she was dancing with and she got together with, he right off the bat said a name. And it took me like four months to Google that. But when I found him, I seen them eyes, the cap he had on. He's got a DUI record a mile long. He was drinking and the age fit perfect. And right when I told them, you know, I should have been able to go there and did a lineup or do some type of something. All they did was show a picture of me when I was young. That was it. Oh, he's never seen you before. And I'm like, of course, he's going to say that. And I did hear the man's voice on the phone, and it was so weird. He was living in his mother's basement. Ah, and he that's used the house the word, at the corner of the street. He used the word the F and B, and right when he used that word, it rang a bell. I just, I just. <laughs> so, so have, you, have you contacted any of those cold case organizations that are very interested in solving these kinds of things? There's some organizations out there that will do the, Work that that sometimes that was you know that the investigation that was not done. Well, I've never went that far. I just kind of I'm I've tried so hard on my own to solve this and do it to where I thought I have no faith in the bureau anymore. Period. I'm I'm I just don't trust in them anymore. I and then they said to me, "Well, this man is a carpenter," and I'm like. Well, he had nothing but tools and paint and rulers on the truck. He was either construction or carpentry. He was dirty. And 
You know, he was full of like oil paint. He was someone that worked construction. Yeah, this and does it's sound strange. Like, you know, I yeah. I even bought a psychic into it, and she said that I would find the right one. So, I, I mean, I do believe in psychics to to a certain extent, but this lady was really good. She knew what she was talking about. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say that um, again. You know, it's it's, and we'll get. You know, we'll we'll come off of this in a moment and get to current. You know, what you're doing currently to help others, but I wanna. The reason I'm spending some time on this is because this is a powerful story. This is an unfortunate story. Um, if I haven't yeah, said I it before. I feel it's done too much to me. It's left well, me. Um, I've got PTSD and I've got depression issues. I have a lot of issues because of this one man and he's wrecked my marriages and I just stay angry and I don't ever want to be. I can't seem to be happy anymore. I can't. Like, so I don't, it's just terrible. <laughs> if, if hypothetically, if after this episode or what, or, or, or at some point, even if it's not just this podcast, that someone pays enough interest to go after this, to find this person, am I correct in assuming that's your goal because that brings you some amount of closure? Oh, yes. I would love for them to reinvestigate. If they went over this case, they would find so much dirt and so much cover-up. And I was even asked by the Bureau on one county. They were fighting over it, passing it across state line from Caswell County to Rockingham County. All the detectives were passing it, and they even laughed. One even kind of laughed at the face I did. They were jealous because I did the perfect face with a professional. They made fun of the face. They actually laughed at it and said, you know, that that doesn't look that great. And this man is a, he's famous. <laughs> I mean, I gave like $3,000 to do the sketch and the age progression. He was a sketch artist that solved America's Most Wanted, his son that was murdered. He solved the case. I mean, he was famous. And I, they just didn't want the competition, and they were afraid that I would, you know, somebody would solve the case like they couldn't do. Yeah, so... And fighting over jurisdiction, you know, it's crazy over jurisdiction where I was taken at, the, the tavern, where I was walking from, in what county. They, they shouldn't... The one that took it in the first place should have kept it. He, They passed it now like 15 times back and forth, back and forth. And this is 15 times from what year did you make the report? Um, it was about in 2000 and, let me see, 2005 in that area. Now, I so had about one 21 years person, later. Yes, sir. I had one person that helped me a lot. She was um, um, a newspaper. She was a news journal, um, Eden's Journal. She published a story, but it wasn't really in the same county, but she did publish a story, put the face in there and the age progression, and the newspaper was the only one that really, you know, went as far to help. Well, the news journal. Okay, so um, it, the, the, whole, the whole thing angers me because not only, of course, 
uh, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, what you had to endure that, well, that day. But, I'm not, I'm not racist or anything, but both counties were, um, um, they were Afro-American men and, um, I really feel like they kind of wanted to insult me. And I even had one to ask me if I was a party girl. <laughs> right. And I um, had one that retired, told me I didn't even have a case. And, and, said, and of course that I doesn't do. Make sense. I've got a cold case, you dummy. <laughs> yeah, well, that doesn't make sense to the extent that um, you endured something. Um, Obviously, in hindsight, you know, when, when you, based on what you endured for four days, is no one can question the decisions that you made. No, because them four days were so traumatic. Right. It, it and, did and something the, to me. Yeah. I went into a deep shock, and I've not been the same since. I, I just stay so busy. I ran a restaurant for several years. I stay so busy to keep my mind off it, but there's not a night that goes by if I don't, you know, I've got my watchdogs, but. I'm, I get terrified at dark time and I'm afraid to even get out at nighttime anymore because of what happened. I'm afraid to even get married. I'm afraid to date. I'm afraid of everything. Well, I used to lock myself in a room for years and I've stopped that. So I'm better about that, but it has took a toll on me and my nerves as well. I stay very nervous and I really feel like I possibly went into a deep shock when that happened because I was so terrified. Right. And and I and I'm hoping that, you know, someone takes up the case. Someone as I said, they are I've I've had other um guests that I've um recorded, not only that I've published, but ones that I haven't published yet that are dealing with um not nothing as traumatic as yours for themselves, but they're dealing with other sorts of cold cases and there are organizations out there and there are people and they're retired detectives and all these people who really are um, interested in justice. And I'm hoping well, that, you know, they hear this case, they hear your story and they, you know, they, they, they feel compelled to bring you closure because I think that the, the answers are obviously out there. And I think that even though you didn't go to the hospital and all of that, I do think that, you know, that, that what sticks in my mind is that house at the end of the streets. And that's, that's a good place to start. Oh, yes. I really think I could find it today. And, you know, the other thing, um, I just, the rock quarry, and <laughs> I'm terrified of rocks today. I don't even like to go past rocks and just scare me to death. But I would love to someone to pick it up, but... Who knows? <laughs> yes, you know, let's see what happens here. I'll certainly um, do what I do with with all of my guests who you know who um, welcome it, and I'll certainly stay in contact with you even after this episode and and see what you know, you know with my resources, etc. You know, maybe someone will be interested to you know who's retired and you know retired from a law enforcement agency and just interested in you know because a lot of them keep busy. And they look at cold cases. Well, that, you yeah. know, I found out, too, that North Carolina is the only state that there's no statute of limitation on kidnap and assault, and there's no statute of limitation. That's great, because then that leaves, that leaves the opportunity to, you know, bring you some closure. And like I said, I, um, I'm really hoping you can get that. 
Um, so now you're, you, as I understand it, you work as an advocate for, um, tell us about that for young ladies who are. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm into a lot, a lot of groups. You know, I've done a few other podcasting and I talk to a lot of young women and teach them safety tips. And, you know, I'm in a lot of little groups on Facebook and internet and pretty much all over, but. I've I've tried now to get some answers, but I did a lot of investigation on my own. I'm pretty good at it and remembering the face and all that and but they never did a thing about it. You know, it's sitting now still in the wrong jurisdiction in a cold case. So what what sitting there. What safety tips do you give to the young ladies today when you speak with them? Uh, mainly about walking by themselves and, you know, just um, things like that as far as um, I got my grandchild. He's nine. I've taught him, oh, gosh, <laughs> I've popped so much in his head about I said an example, like if someone offered you candy, you know, come close up to my car and, you know, he, oh, he knows everything. <laughs> right. Uh, I've taught him well and just, you know, young girls and even my guys, I have teenage boys, you know, I've taught them and I'm real funny about them always checking their tires, making sure the tires are good and pumped up. No flats or no right. nothing, you know, I'm so afraid of them ever breaking down. It happens to guys too. And this world's crazy. I'll tell you, you just, you just never know, you know, people are, they're they're sick. <laughs> yes, they are. So, um, like I said, I will I will continue to be in contact with you, and 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 like I said, hopefully, um, at some point, you know, this this show and anyone else who's welcome to jump aboard can can help you to get closure by you know identifying this person. And I guess, you know, and and I guess we have to be ready to or see well, that. There's that. 2000 from the area, but um, I had a lady that actually, um, one advocate mentioned like from that rock quarry from Virginia, it touched to North Carolina, there's like 20 counties and there was 2000 and some women missing just in them counties. Okay. So that, that is even more, you know, should be more alarming and, um, more of an incentive for someone to go out there and, and, and find out, you know, more about this, this, this person who committed this cowardly and, and, and sick act against you and hopefully catch them and maybe not just bring you closure, but in the process, maybe there's yeah. a bunch of people that will get closure as well. Well, the, the psychic lady that's pretty good, she's very kind of famous. She, she bought a missing child to justice, but she told me I was his first victim, and there's more out there. So I, I believe it. He he was very, very. Well, very evil person, evil, evil. So, um, we will, as I said, we will continue to follow up. I will continue to follow up as part of of my show. But um, as we wrap this up, I'd like you to think, and if you'd like to. Leave a message to my listeners out there, whether it's a personal message, whether it's a message of safety, or whether it's a message about what, you know, what your desire is. Tell us, you know, leave us with a closing message. 
Well, I can just say, um, unless it's family, never trust anybody and never even get out there walk. And it's not even safe anymore for these women to get out and jog in parks. They're starting now to hide out in parks. And, you know, once they watch you and know your pattern, you're, you're gone. And I just... I've lost all trust, and some women are very naive and gullible, and just please do not, just, you got to be strong, and I've really become strong over this. I, I'm very cautious, very protective. If anything, I'm too protective. <laughs> well, I hope that... Um, I think the watchdogs, for me, are just as well as having a gun. I've got watchdogs, and... They do better than a gun because I won't really have a gun around. <laughs> right. Uh, I've never really even touched a gun in my life. I just don't really like them around. I've got a grandson, and but I've got watchdogs, and they don't play. I got a German Shepherd <laughs> and a Labrador. Okay, and they're your companions uh, and your protectors. And I'd even advise these women to carry some kind of pepper spray, mace, or. I just would never make that mistake again, jogging, walking by myself, or even possibly with women. It's just now, day and time, it's worse now. It's just not safe, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right, Kathy. So we've, we, we've, you know, we, I want to thank you, first of all, for sharing the story. I think that you're an incredibly courageous person to be able to recount the details in the, in the manner in which you have. And although I know that. You know, life, it changed your life and you've, you've been through a lot of struggles. You're also a very powerful person to be standing here today to be able to tell your story. I mean, many people have, have not you know, been able to make those choices and therefore are not around. Yes, so. um, um, that's another thing. If these women are living with this inside like I did for years, please get it out of your system. Talk about it. Get it out. Don't blame yourself. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. It's not your fault. Yes, it's definitely not your fault. Um, and like I said, hopefully, you know, who knows what comes out of this, but I'm, I'm hoping it's a lot of positive There's no things. telling where I'd be now if I never, ever got this out of my system. I there, There's no telling because I just wanted to end my life and I tried and I just knew that I had too much to live for, and he wasn't worth it. He wasn't worth my life. <laughs> and he didn't get the opportunity to take it. So thank you again so much for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you for finding 247 Real Talk and for being a guest in the show. And I wish oh, do you... do you get a lot of listeners? Yes, 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 all over the oh, world. Okay. So I'm hoping that someone, you know, remembers something or someone is interested in doing something. I hope for somebody you. from at least North Carolina would, you know, or has a missing person or in that state or. Right. Yes. So I want to put you. And in I hope. feel, you know, they did wrong. They actually, and um, they know they did. They, they swept this under the rug. They covered this up and they didn't take immediate action. And they, they were just the investigators just, you know, they were too busy victim blaming as to be helping, you know? Right. Right. Okay. So 
again, you know, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It was my pleasure having you. And uh, hopefully there are good things to come from here. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. Okay. Thank you for having me, sir. You're welcome. Good night. a very special thank you to my courageous guest Kathy Shaw for sharing her incredible story that must be painful to recount but through her strength she's helping others so I want to say thank you and I want to appeal to anyone out there who can be of help in helping her you know get closure so please do contact me I want to always thank my listeners and my supporters as usual for making this podcast successful. I remind you that you can listen to this episode and any of my episodes and all of my episodes on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to send me a message, if you need to contact me, if you'd like to be a guest in the show, please do so at emailing me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, be safe. Take care of yourselves and each other.